Mamma mia, mia, mamma. That's a good thing. Good jealousy. That's a good thing. All right. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> I'm doing two things at once. <laughs> Hang on. Patricia still remembers an envelope her grandfather sent back home from New York with a check inside. Signed, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. So uh, my, my grandfather was uh, so proud of these. Right, turn, was turn it off. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, it's so cold in my flat today. <laughs> but never mind. Uh, what we're going to do is i'm gonna because i haven't done this in a while so bear with me i'm going to read you some new poetry that i've i've written myself and uh uh trying to explain uh some of the uh some of the thought process behind each poem so if we go from, I'll do this by route. So if I go from the 7th of November, <clears throat> since I've got the new phone, <clears throat> I brought a new phone, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, get out you frog. <clears throat> since I brought the new phone, uh, which is, uh, I'm gonna say I've had this phone now. I'm gonna say I've had it uh, a month sort of beginning of November, I'm going to say, I think somewhere around that, I can't, I don't remember exactly, but I'm going to say the beginning of November, and it took me a little while to get going on this, and uh, I put Colournote, an app called Colournote on, on this phone, because I couldn't work out, because normally on a smartphone you have like a, something you can tap into and you can make notes on, normally and i couldn't find this on this phone so i had to download colour so i'm advertising woohoo <laughs> get a mcdonald's and have an heart attack <laughs> okay focus david so I, since i put colour on my phone i i now have no problem just tap in here we go one day last year tap on that and this is the first poem that I wrote on my new phone. So bear with me while I have a drink of tea, uh, burp, <laughs> and behave like a pig, basically. Honk, honk, oink, oink. <laughs> uh, I do apologise. I'm, you know, it's the weather. The weather's getting me down, baby. Okay. One day last year. One day last year, I killed Amanda. Let me repeat that. One day last year, I killed Amanda. She was getting on my verbs. I stabbed her most often in sweaty night and later dull day. Waiting gangs are all the rage, which is me all over. I rattle windows. The bottle gives me splice and an uneven sleep. But I wake at the sharpest thing and fear an unfamiliar step on the stair to my lair. One day they will turn up like a broken wave. 
that drags me under. And in the swell of the pigs, oh, woe is me and my imagination. Pass another bottle up and bolt the door. I have this sore on my heart and it won't heal. Did I mention I'm a murderer? Okay, so I wrote this uh, on the 7th of November, 7th of November and um, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember the thought process behind writing it because I, I have no idea where I pulled Amanda from. So one day last year I killed Amanda. She was getting on my verbs. I don't know, they just, it just came out. <laughs> She's, I had an adjective. So she got my verbs. I don't know, just me trying to be clever in, you know, trying to impress my Miss Harvey, my old English teacher from Little Heath Comprehensive, where she once told me, David, never use the word nice. Nice has no plate and has no, has no business being business. Has no, <laughs> nice should never be used in a in a sentence of prose <laughs> and she was right and i've already mentioned it five times so there you go miss harvey where are you now probably uh six feet under or you know selling herself in ibiza at the age of 78 or, or, yeah she wasn't that much older than me I've, <laughs> I've really gone off the I've gone off the subject. Okay, so one day last year I killed Amanda. She was getting on my verbs. I stabbed her most often in sweaty night and dull day. Waiting games are all the rage. So it's like I've always been a fan of video games. And what's slightly alarming is the, is the sheer violence involved in video games. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing in the sense that if you have violent tendencies, you play a video game and you you dispel them or you you suppress the beast within you. So in that respect, video games are quite mentally f f uh, therapeutic, I think. I think that's right. I think that would be true. Because I can remember playing, um, what's the Rockstar thing? D D TDA? Take a, oh, Grand Theft Auto. See, when I was very, oh, no, I'm not going to admit to that. Uh, I, let me just say, <laughs> there were certain elements of that video game that reminded me of my teenage years. <laughs> A certain aspect of them involving motivations. Anywho, uh, so yes, I stepped to myself in the sweaty night and dull day. Waiting games are all the rage, which is me all over. Meaning, you know, when I, I've been a sucker for a good video game. Uh, they're a great distraction. I still believe that. <sighs> I just played them on my phone now. So, you know, golf rival and all that. And, uh, ooh, Murder in the Alps. Check that one out. That's terrific. <laughs> See, I'm advertising again. <laughs> Go to Burger King. Clog up that artery. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I remember when the bottle gives me spice. Uh, also... The bottle gives me splice and an uneven sleep. I I went through this process of trying to figure out 
uh, how to get to sleep. I've always had problems getting a good night's sleep. The only exception has been when I was in the Legion of Trans uh, Foreign Legion, because they work your butt off so so hard during the day, you just crashed. You would just crash and like zonk right out. And then they'd wake you at fucking 3.30 <laughs> put you through the ringer. So, but that's another story. So the only time I ever got a good night's sleep was in the Foreign Legion, <laughs> because I was so knackered all the time, and uh, uh, when I used to do drugs, because, of, you know, obviously you're being helped medically. So uh, I, always, I always found it more relaxing, so you'd go to sleep more easily. And then, so... <clears throat> to get back to the the bottle gives me splice. This is uh, in, in in the later period when I gave up the drugs and I turned in my stupidity. I went the Eric Clapton route. I went from hard drugs to alcohol and became a, a, a dancing fool, or however you want to word that. And I would use alcohol as a tool to get a good night's sleep which worked for the first 10 years and then it's and then it crept up on me and then I realized no actually it's not working because I'm getting the night terrors now so there you go so now I hardly drink at all except the occasional Chateauneuf de Pape because that's you know if you have the money and you like a drop of red wine that is a, a decent red wine to drink. Anyway, um, I've, <laughs> the bottle gives me splice and an uneven sleep. So there you go. There's a bit of history there. But I wake at the sharpest thing because I do nowadays because I'm so, I'm so sensitive. I'm sen there's a creak on the stair and I'm thinking, my God, there's a burglar in the house and he's, you know, he's got this big shiny knife, and, you know, and he's, you know, high on the latest drug. And he doesn't give a shite about me. Oh, is my door locked? And all that. So you've got this paranoia creeping into the poem. The bottle gives me a splice and an uneven steep. But I wake at the sharpest thing and I fear and uh, and fear an unfamiliar step on the stair to my lair. You know, because I live at the top of this house. I'm in this old Victorian. Uh, it's quite, it's got good character, it's, and I have a beautiful view. I'm looking out now, the trouble is, the problem with this view at the moment is that God is weeping down on us. He's weeping bitter tears, and he's, uh, he's, he's thrashing away, if you want to go with the spiritual aspect of things. The trees are all shivering. But it is, a, it's a beautiful view, even, you know, in the harshest of weathers. So, yeah, one day they will turn up. This is, this is presumption of, of like, uh, uh, you know, I've done a very bad thing. So, you know, sooner or later, the police will figure that out and come knocking on the old door, which is part of their fear again, with the, the unfamiliar step. So it's not just, you know, strangers with, with, darkness in their hearts but also the old bill turning up saying hello 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 and all that <laughs> and you you we're the sweeney son and we haven't had any supper <laughs> anyway one day they will turn up like a broken wave 
that drags me under and in the swell of the pigs. See, this is my bigotry coming out now. <clears throat> I can remember a time when I was very young when the police were allowed to beat you up and get away with it. <clears throat> Especially the Brighton and Hove police. They gave me the hiding of my life. I won't go into details, but I was... Uh, how old was I then? I would have been 19. 19. And I wasn't... I was keeping mum. I wasn't going to tell him a goddamn thing. And they beat the living crap out of me. Uh, them and uh, <clears throat> when I was quite young, 15, I <clears throat> spent a night in the <clears throat> in Wimbledon, Wimbledon Police Station. Was it Wimbledon? Was it Hell Hampstead? I can't remember. And what freaked me out about those police, to a man, every one of them, <clears throat> every one of them wore hobnailed boots. So, you know, every time they'd walk up and down a corridor, you'd get this crack, crack, crack going across, you know, the, the, the linen limb of the flooring. And you'd be thinking, Jesus Christ, I hope they don't kick me with those. That was when I was 15. In all of these. And I, was, I had two thoughts when I remember, when I remember that at that time, because I'd run away from home, which I did quite often when I was young. For, I won't go into reasons, but it, home was no picnic either. <clears throat> and the police had picked me up and put me in this cell, and I couldn't stop thinking about these because my 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 understanding of the police at that time, and you've got to remember, this is nineteen seventy four, seventy five, seventy six ish. These years, in those years. The British police were literally a law unto themselves. They could do what the fuck they wanted, and they would. And part of doing that would be give you a good idea to see if you'd cough up what you've been up to. Or, you know, in some cases, well, maybe in a lot of cases, actually fitting you up for something that you weren't involved in. So, you know, there you go. <clears throat> the Sweeney were... Uh, shocking like that. That's like a London. Oh, I'm, I've come right off topic. <laughs> I'm giving you a bigoted history of the British police force, especially in the Met. <laughs> uh, I'll stop it, David. Let's get back. We're going back to the poems. So we've gone from one day last year, I, I killed Amanda. She was getting on my verbs. I stabbed her most often in sweaty night and dull day. Waiting games are all the rage, which is me all over. I rattle windows. The bottle gives me splice and an uneven sleep. But I wake at the sharpest thing in fear and unfamiliar step on the stair to my lair. So there's that. One day they will turn up like a broken wave that drags me under and in the swell of the pigs, see that was me getting off topic, oh woe is me, see this is me remembering how the pigs, how the police, they're all lovely chaps nowadays I'm sure, chaps and chapettes, uh, oh woe is me and my imagination, see there you go. <clears throat> Pass another bottle up, see, because, you know, alcohol is the solution to and cause of all of life's problems. And I think that's a Homer quote, and I don't mean, you know, the philosopher. 
<clears throat> so person of a bottle up and bolt the door. I have this sore on my heart. You know, it's that's self-evident. And it won't heal because, you know, I keep re reminiscing about, you know, dark days. That's no good, is it? We should, you know. And it won't heal. Did I mention I'm a murderer? Because I murdered that poem. Boom-boom. <laughs> uh, oh! <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. I hope I've explained um, One Day Last Year a little bit to you. I think it's a pretty good poem. I won't say it's the best thing I've ever written, but it's not bad for the start of a new era on my new phone. Okay, moving swiftly along, said the uh, bird. <coughs> this is interesting. <coughs> um. <coughs> okay, <coughs> had to stop for a moment. I had a frog in my throat that just wouldn't hop out. So it's a bit of the old lemon juice over the sink. And the honey, which I've put away again. <clears throat> See, honey, honey and lemon juice cures quite a few things, believe it or not. One of which is a ropey throat. If you're feeling a bit, you know, under the weather. And I am looking out of this window. <laughs> oh, it's positively funeral, funeralic. <laughs> Good day for a funeral. <laughs> oh, grey, grey, grey. Okay, back to. Um, I'm sorry about that. Uh, back to the new poetry. This is um, <clears throat> something I wrote on the 11th of November, which would have been Remembrance Day. Okay. Oh, right. That's interesting. Okay. So, ah, this is called Plant a Poem. Now I'm thinking about it. I'll read it to you and you can make your own mind up. Okay, Plant a Poem. In a short while, just to be obvious, I shall hand in the flowers, the dry look, notation for her book of these dead, and the fact that... I no longer bleed. In a longer sense, it will be apparent I did not die. Not quite a lie, naked under this picture frame. Or in her bedside manner, with the rouge lipstick stain, for mother to shock by, and the fact that I still have seed. In a wider sense, flowers are still flowers. No matter where they lay, from which pip spat in clay, 
and shaped boy or girl. What joy, say the French. Ooh la la. I forget the rest of these. I forget the rest of those petals and the fact that I'm a deadly plant. <clears throat> oh, my frog is back. Hmm. Well, that is strange that I wrote it on the 11th of November because, you know, that immediately brings me back to, you know, planting flowers, you know, gravesides, all that kind of thing. In a short while, just to be obvious, I shall hand in the flowers, the dry look. Notation for her book of these dead and the fact that I no longer bleed. I'm not sure what I meant by that. I no longer bleed, but I'm a ghost. I'm, I'm dead myself. I can't remember. I, I wish I could remember how I wrote this, how this came to be, this poem, and I, and I can't. Okay, let's go on. In a longer sense, it will be apparent. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> In a longer sense, it will be apparent I did not die. Ah, okay. I did not die. Not quite a lie. Okay, so I may not be dead, but my feelings are. I think that's what I was referring to. Because I do tend to, especially with people that don't know me. If you know me and I love you or, you know, I, I care for you, then then obviously my feelings will show and I will, you know, make it, an effort. But it's been my... It's been my... Uh, posture in life that especially when I think of some of the like five years in a French prison and all that uh, it's been my posture in life to have this hard shell and not uh, not uh, let things out in a, so in a longer sense it will be apparent I did not die not quite a lie so you, you understand that I think you will understand why I wrote that like that I did not die, not quite a lie. Naked under this picture frame, because I do I do like my abstract art. I used to paint quite a bit uh, before uh, I before the pandemic came along. I used to go to uh, an art studio down in Whitechapel, where there was free paint for you know like. It was like a mental health place kind of thing, and it's like a therapy thing. And I got, <clears throat> I got on it through my bipolar uh, scenario, and uh, uh, you know, peers, you know, professional types thought it would be therapeutic for me to express myself through art, which I have done over the years in different ways. Sketching in India, I remember that quite specifically. Uh, and Mexico. Mexico is full of colour. Anyway, um, so in a sense, in a longer sense, I did not die, not quite a lie. Naked under this picture frame, I would do what some people thought was, was quite beautiful work, especially the abstract stuff and the occasional sea, seascape. I did this quite beautiful seascape that uh, was Turner-esque. It had a really beautiful, colourful sky, broken up sky, and this sense of imminent danger. 
And um, uh, Christopher Owen, who is a resident artist in the studio, was saying to me, David, this is beautiful, but it's too big to frame. <laughs> don't have to, because it was a massive picture. <laughs> he said, we're going to have problems framing it. And our, our, in our kind of, at the time, I thought, oh, you know what? I don't care. But I did, because I thought, yeah, you know, this would look cool in the National Gallery in a hundred years' time, or two hundred years' time. Sat next to a Turner. <laughs> anyway, I digress. In a longer sense, it in a longer sense it will be apparent. I did not die, not quite a lie, naked under this picture frame, or in her bedside manner, with the rogue lipstick stain. See, colour can give you away as well. <laughs> colour can drop you right in it. <laughs> that murderous red. <laughs> For my, oh, here we go. For mother to shop by. My mother was a piece of work. Jesus Christ. Oh, she hated me. I was quite the womaniser when I was young. Long hair. I've got very, um, even now, although I'm going bald now, I've got very, I've got very fine hair. And women, I don't know why this is true, and if you're a woman listening to this, I apologise in advance, but I don't know why this is true, but a lot of women would take great comfort in stroking my hair. They've, they've found something, I don't know, I can't explain it, but I, when I was with the Rainbow People, not too only a few years ago, and I was sort of almost as bald as I am now, and this one woman there, she would, every time she saw me, she came rushing up and she'd just stroke my hair for like half an hour at a time. And, which is quite nice because it's like, you know, like, like I'm a pet dog or cat or something. It, it is a nice feeling to be stroked. <laughs> but it's also a bit bizarre. And, I, and when I was young, and um, because my hair is so fine, it went, you know, when it's damp weather, I, I, it gets all curly. So I look like a David Coverdale type or a Robert Plant type. With the long hair, and you know, and the, the uh, you know, I'm, I'm six foot and all this, and like, it's all dark and stupid and all that, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so that was quite an attractive thing. And the problem with that is because I would knock about with women quite a lot because I, I was quite gregarious and quite the chat, chatty chat chat type. I uh, am doing drugs and all that, and you know, and having. I shouldn't go into details, but like I, I, I led quite a precarious life when I, when I sort of figured out, you know, it's quite easy to get women in bed when you're young and reasonably good looking, and they, and, you know, they find things about you that are, that are sort of shiny. Now, the reason I'm sort of going off on an ego trip here is the fact that my mother would hate me for it. Hate, hate, hate. And I would bring certain types home and she'd say, not under my roof. And she's all very Catholic about it, all very uh, religious, which is, you know, I found very hypocritical when you consider what she let the old man get away with. But anyway, that's another story. And so... The reason I'm telling you all of this, and I've gone off on this ego tangent of like, oh, when I was young, everyone thought I was beautiful, blah, blah, 
is that with the rouge lipstick stain for mother to shop by, that's the only reason that is in this poem, because it's, I must have been reading, writing this out on my phone, and all of a sudden I had this vision of my mother like banning me from the house with the latest, you know, uh, shapely, shapely partner. You know, uh, I've probably expressed that very wrongly, and I apologise for that too. But uh, my, yeah, my mother was. Uh, she didn't she didn't know what a good time was you know didn't appreciate other people having a good time when you know she was in the marriage from hell and uh you know she had things to put up with herself so there you go so that's why that line is there i guess the room lifts its down for mother to shop by and the fact that i still have seed you know because we all want to be immortal I'm not, I'm not explaining that any further. So here we go with the last uh, verse of the poem. In a wider sense, flowers are still flowers. And I don't think I need to explain that line. Thank you. If I do, then I think you're in trouble. So <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> in a wider sense, flowers are still flowers. No matter where they lay, from which pip spat in clay and shaped boy or girl. What joy, say the French. Ooh la la. So um, there was a... <clears throat> I should go back a bit first and say about the pip spat in clay. That's um, when I was in solitary at Dover Castle. When I, was, uh, I went to Borstal for a while in my late teens and um what was it i was in solitary for oh yeah i nicked a can of glue and got caught sniffing glue and so i was put in solitary for two weeks and the only thing that you had to read in in solitary in these like dungeons basement dungeons oh they were horrible just pure granite if you've ever been in dover castle you'll know what i mean <clears throat> anyway all you had to read was the Bible. That's it. Nothing else, just the Bible. And I thought, oh, for fuck's sake. So I did. I read it cover to cover. And guess what? There's this whole concept of, like, made out of clay. And, you know, boy and girl were, you know, made out of clay. And this whole thing, you know, by God's hand. So I thought I'd put it in this poem. <laughs> Instead of like the, the the original thing of like you know the seed and in, in you know in the humane in the you know in the reality of life, but we I guess I don't know it's all speculative I suppose. So no matter where they lay, from which pip spat in clay and shaped boy or girl, what joy you know spiritual joy, hallelujah I don't know what joy say the French. So this is me sort of like reminiscing, ooh la la. I, for, I forget the rest of those petals because the French were very, uh, they had this very soft underbelly, the French, when you got to know them. So I spent some years, well, some years, but <laughs> not by choice. <laughs> but when I was younger, I spent uh, like, I'm going to say seven or eight years when I was younger, by choice, I I had uh, I lived with a French woman, 
for two and a half years. And uh, anyway, let's not get into that. Um, so I know the French, I know a certain element of the French psyche and their whole, that whole feel. So, and I wanted to put in, in a wider sense, flowers are still flowers, you know this, that's like, you know, you know, things are just things sometimes. And, uh, and, and just look at them for beauty's sake, you know, no matter where they lay. So this is wherever you go, whatever you do, you know, it's always, you know, that's always true that, that, uh, some things are just there. And, and you should just appreciate that they're, they're there and don't go any further into that, you know, you know, don't question it, you know, <clears throat> unless you're in danger. No matter where they lay, from which pips, flattening clan, shape, boy or girl, what joy, say the French, ooh la la, I forget the rest of those petals and the fact that I'm a deadly plant. And the reason I put that at, at the end, I'm a deadly plant, is the fact that if you if you do <laughs> if you do pick me you will die too <laughs> so you know that's very deep that's very freudian you know if you pick me i may die but you will die too so you know that's uh kind of heavy i guess <laughs> and it's this podcast is supposed to be called david spreads the joy and I'm not spreading much joy today as I look out my window at the grey, at the grey, at the grey. Oh, man. Okay. Next. So, oh, what's this? Okay, so exactly, no, six days later, I wrote a very short poem and it's uh i'll just read it to you and see you can make up your own mind i guess i will be in the morning 17th of november there you go i will be in the morning i will be in the evening i will be in the dreaming i will be in the scheming of things i will i will I will. Oh, that's short and sweet. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read that again, see if I can remember why I wrote this. I will be in the morning. I will be in the morning. I will be in the evening. I will be in the dreaming. I will be in the scheming of things. I will. I will. I will. Maybe it's me motivating myself. This may be a motivational poem, self-motivational poem of me, sort of like, I will be in the morning, I will be in the evening, I will be in the dreaming, you know, dreaming, you know, like, let's have a better tomorrow, or, you know, let's have a good night's sleep. I don't know. I will be in the scheming of things. Hmm. Like, oh, how can I get me, myself a winter coat without, you know, breaking the bank account? <clears throat> like that and that's like a basic scheming there's good scheming and there's bad scheming scheming tends to vary towards the bad doesn't it like all oh, scheming to you know do wrong or something i will be in the scheming of things 
See, that doesn't that doesn't bode well, does it? <laughs> I will, I will, I will. Ah, this is the free this is the free name it three times syndrome. If you say something three times, you allegedly you don't forget it. You know, it's an old uh, Simpsons trick. Marge is trying to teach Bart to <laughs> learn something, and it actually works. Anyway, after, I, I don't think I need to sort of go into this. I think that's a kind of, I think it's some kind of motive. I'm trying to motivate myself here. I will be in the morning. I will be in the evening. I will be in the dreaming. I will be in the scheming of things. I will, I will, I will. Actually, actually, I will, I will, I will is just the first three. I will be in the morning. I will be in the evening. I will be in the dreaming. Maybe I won't be in the scheming of things because I've only put three I wills after it. So there you go. That may be a subconscious thing. Okay, interesting. Okay. Well, okay. Now, this is all about my art teacher, Mr. McAvoy. And um, this next poem is called The Beautiful People. And he once explained to me, because it was the only, I only had two uh, teachers. No, that's not true, because I like Miss Harvey too, and I mentioned her earlier. So, no, so it should be free, really. But history, Mr. Eggleton, Eggie, and art. I loved history and I loved art. So there you go. Uh, in in art, we had Mr. McAvoy, and he was the only teacher who wasn't afraid of me because all the other teachers, for some reason that I can't explain, were rather afraid of me as a pupil, and uh, which is shameful, really. But anyway, but Mr. McAvoy found me fascinating. He thought I was, he's, he saw something in me. So there you go. And he explained to me once, he said, you and me are just, we're just, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're just the slaves, really, to society. You know, we get out, we do stuff, we go home, we go to bed. But there are the beautiful people, David, and this is Sam. And he was showing me these, like, like covers for, they were for sketching purposes. We had these magazines in the art room and, you know, they were for sketching purposes. Like, you would sketch a model's face, like, for proportion and all that. And he was saying, these are the beautiful people. Their lives aren't real. They're artificial. Because what touches you and I doesn't touch them. Because, you know, they have a beautiful life. So that's... I'm explaining that a little bit for you as a genesis of how this poem came about a little bit. I think that's true. I hope so. The beautiful people. Rage, my darling, at the blood, in the paper, on the news, the sex, the music, the drugs, and the agent's frantic phone call. Sunday, come and stay in bed. I couldn't live without the sun or my morning mirror, and the motorcycle mail roars off forever. My lonely existence, shame after blame, after arrest. Read all about her, read all about him, the beautiful people bleeding all over the new waves, 
crashing on the media shore, watch the gulls pick and smell the rotten fish. Everything else is just noise, because you weren't there. It's true what Marlene said. What does it matter what a man did, except that he lived? And that capture of the lens. The cover, cover F. The beautiful people. I better read you that again. Because <laughs> I kind of got carried away in the middle. All right. <clears throat> the beautiful people. Rage, my darling, at the blood. In the paper, on the news. The sex, the music, the drugs. And the agent's frantic phone call. Sunday come and stay in bed. I couldn't live without the sun. Or my morning mirror and the motorcycle mail rules off forever. My lonely existence, shame after blame after arrest. Read all about her, read all about him. The beautiful people bleeding all over the new waves, crashing on the media shore. Watch the gulls pick and smell the rotten fish. Everything else is just noise, because you weren't there. It's true what Marlene said. What does it matter what a man did, except that he lived? And that capture of the lens. The cover, cover F. The beautiful people. Wow. Okay. So this is one that I read it, uh, uh are um, what people think a meeting with the poetry group I'm in. We did this like evening, media evening thing at um, Crisis Cafe. It's very good. I got the guitar out and everything. It's very good. And um, I read this to them and everyone seemed to like it. And I, it's pretty self-explanatory, really, if you go over it. Just, you know, the sun, the mirror, the Daily Mail. The, you know, these are all horrific... Uh, propagandists for the beautiful people. Like, you know, like, oh, look, the latest lover, the latest drug craze, the latest, you know, film that's gone, you know, into the toilet or however you want to word that. Because everyone, everyone loves to build you up and everyone loves to knock you down. So there you go. And that's the fame game, apparently. And my lonely existence, this is me as I'm speaking as the star. Uh, shame after blame after arrest, read all about her, read all about him. You know, whoever you are, you know, like you're the TV star or, you know, the rock uh, musician or even, well, maybe a politician. Uh, probably more and more nowadays with the politicians. And you've got, and you get this, uh, you know, read all about him, read all about her, and the, the, you know, the, the, you know, they're abusing children, they're, they're taking lots of hard drugs, uh, they're, you know, shagging the wrong person at the wrong time in the wrong place. <laughs> oh dear! And uh, watch the girls pick, and that by girls I mean, you know, like the paparazzi, and smell the rotten fish. So that's, you know, that just explains itself, really. You know, because in the old days, newspapers, after you read them, 
were used to wrap up fish and chips. Did you know that? If you if you're younger than um, I'm going to say 45, you probably didn't know that. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, everything else is just noise because you know we go on the Twitter, we go on the Instagram, and it's just it's just a wave of noise, isn't it? It's just, just nothing really. Ah, oh, everything else. Oh, everything else is just noise because you weren't there. It's true what Marlene said. Ah, the, okay. I wanted to put that in because I. That's a beautiful ending to a film. It's from Touch of Evil that Orson Welles was in, and um, they convinced him to direct it for no extra money, and thank God he did because you know you get that beautiful ending where Marlene says, you know. Because if you know this film, Touch of Evil, and I suggest you check it out because it really is a very unusual film and it's one of Orson Welles' saving graces because I I think Citizen Kane was overrated personally and The Magnificent Amberson is just boring. But um, Touch of Evil has a genuine sense of dread to it. There is something going on there underneath, especially when the wife of the Mexican copper gets kidnapped by these little druggy types. Anyway, I'm I'm over-explaining here. But at the end of the film, the crooked cop played rather brilliantly by Orson Welles in what was then a fat suit, has been shot dead by the, you know, the hero Mexican cop. I see I'm giving the... Fucking film away, god damn it. Uh, but I have to to explain <laughs> what about Marlene. So you have this, like, you know, this um, Mexican cops kind of like going, Oh, you know, what was he, you know, what was he thinking and all that about the dead awesome Wells. And Marlene, the trick, you know, she's she, it's a snap for her. She she says this line, What does it matter? what a man did, except that he lived. And that's true. That's so true. It's, you know, you know, he lived. He did something, even if it was a bad thing. He did something, you know. He made, you know, he made footsteps, you know. Anyway, <clears throat> I wanted to put that in because the line after it is, and that capture of the lens, because the lens is, is forever. Once you're captured by the lens, that's it forever, you know. You're forever in a photograph or, you know, or on a television set or on a Twitter. You're forever in the universe. And the cover, cover F, the cover covers all. The cover, cover F. The beautiful people. The cover covers all of the beautiful people because we all, in our heart of hearts, want to be beautiful and not have any shit smell whatsoever. <laughs> there you go. I, um, I'm i aware of the fact that this podcast is going overboard and I'm just going to quickly read you because I've only got one poem left on my new phone. So I'll just read this to you and try not to over-explain it. So this is called Tree in a Park. Tree in a Park. 
have some of this, the green and muddy bliss, kicking of leaves, leaking up, up trees, and hiding the bottle or can from mother types. Soft tears fall. There is a greyhound, joyously nervous as a whiz, darting here and there. Spies the same squirrel as I. Stops dead, both ready to bolt, and the spell is broken. All changes. Breathe it in, girls and boys. You won't for long. David the Sir, as in Attenborough. Greta the lure of the puppy eyes, as in from Sweden. That glow fiercest in a crowd or on the television. I get my glow in the park by my favourite tree, who's not much older than me, but a lot healthier. I should mention the rain, but it would be a washout. Okay, so I've added um, Attenborough and Fernberg in Sweden and all that, just to, because I'm thi I'm thinking that <laughs> you're not thinking, and that was wrong of me. So I'm gonna I'll read it one more time. I don't I think it's pretty self-explanatory, so I won't go into it. But I will read it again for you, and try and make it sound a bit better. Tree in a park. Have some of this, the green and muddy bliss, kicking of leaves, leaking up trees, and hiding the bottle or can from mother types. Soft tears fall. There is a greyhound, joyously nervous as a whiz, darting here and there, spies the same squirrel as I, stops dead, both ready to bolt, and the spell is broken, all changes. Breathe it in, girls and boys. You won't for long, David the Sir, Greta, the lure of the puppy eyes, that glow fiercest in the crowd, or on the television. I get my glow in the park, by my favourite tree, who's not much older than me, but a lot healthier. I should mention the rain, but it would be a washout. <sighs> okay. I should be doing other things now. I hope you enjoyed uh, this over my overlong stay on this podcast, and um, let's hope uh, the weather will improve as we move on into the Christmas period. <sighs> Happy thoughts, boys and girls, and um, I shall see you anon. Ta ta.